Hello, St. Andrews. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us here in Ephesians. We thank you that you are speaking into the details of our lives, our marriages, our families, and now our workplaces. We long, Father, for you to transform them, that we may live in these parts of our lives, all our life, Father, to your glory. So give us humble hearts now to hear your word and to heed it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 113 words. That's our passage. 113 words about an activity that many of us will devote over 90,000 hours to throughout our lifetime. 113 words about your working life. That doesn't seem enough, does it? Doesn't seem anywhere near enough. Uh, if this is God's instruction for how to go about working life, uh, surely we want more words than just 113 words. I mean, think about it this way. How long do you think it would take? How many words do you think it would take to explain to someone how to do your job properly? I mean, most jobs are complex, aren't they? There's all sorts of details in, in, the, in the small details of our, of our working life, things that we would have to explain if someone came to do our job in our place. Whole handbooks are written about it, guidebooks, uh, uh, job descriptions. But alongside any handbook that your job may have, any job description that you may have, these 113 words should be right at the top of the pile as you go to work tomorrow and you seek to go about your job uh, well. They represent for us God's job description for how to do your job in the way that you were always intended to do it. As we look at these words together, uh, Ephesians 6 verses 5 to 9, well worth having that open in front of you. Two things to bear in mind as we look at these 113 words. Now, the first of them is this. Uh, I think when you initially look at this passage, and perhaps you felt this as it was read for us, the words don't seem to speak about our work experience at all. They speak of the realities of slaves and masters, not employer-employee. The Bible makes no comment on slavery here, whether it's good or bad. It does elsewhere. And in fact, it is the gospel that transformed the, the slavery practice in the Roman Empire. And it has been gospel driven Christians that have led to the abolition of slavery in many parts of our world. But here it is speaking about a practice that by this stage in the Roman Empire has become very similar to our work experience, very similar to the relationship between employers and employees. And so what we have in these 113 words is very relevant to what you will be doing in the week ahead. Here's the second thing to keep in mind. Uh, you need to be aware that these 113 words actually assume that the only person who can do the job that is before you this week properly, be it whatever it is your job is, a doctor or a teacher or an accountant or a scientist or a graphic designer or whatever your job is, the only person who can do that job the way it was actually meant to be done is someone who lives with Christ as their head, is a Christian. Now, you might think steady on that. That's not my experience in the workplace. I've seen plenty of competent uh, unbelievers and plenty of incompetent Christians in the workplace. Now, that may or may not be true. But what we have here in front of us uh, is the claim that only somebody who lives with Christ as their head can do can work at their job in a way they were purposed to. And you might say, well, I understand how that works in the, in the say, the church. If, if we were to employ someone here at St. Andrews looking for someone to join the ministry team, surely that person would have to be a Christian to do their job properly, but not in the real world. Well, 
Imagine this for a moment. Imagine that they are appointing someone to do the role that you have at work. Maybe you've received a promotion. Maybe you're going to work for another company, whatever it may be. And you may say, well, actually, there's lots of people that could do my job. Other people at my workplace, there's Fred or Barney or George or whoever it is. And maybe they'd be even better at it than, than you were. But to do it purposefully, you need to be a Christian. Otherwise, you actually defeat the purpose for which God has given us work. What if you heard it in the creed that we had earlier in our service? It was from Colossians chapter one, and it spoke of Jesus and his relationship to all things, including our work. Uh, we read these words, for by him, that is Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, including our work, all things were created by him and for him. And it's that last phrase that's key when it comes to our work. God created you and the work you do for a clear purpose. The whole point of your work is for him. It's to glorify him. That is why he gave you energy and breath and skills and a, a brain to work with, that you may honour him with those things. He gifted you for work for him. Now, if you're a Christian, you are actually in a long line of those who've had exactly the same job in the workplace, wherever that workplace is, whatever the details of your job may involve, you work by his energy and for his glory. Now, we've seen in recent weeks that uh, when you see that you live under Christ, when the Spirit shows you who Jesus is and when you realise that he is your king, when, when you live life under Christ, it actually transforms ordinary aspects of our lives, like our marriages or our families and now our workplaces, and makes them extraordinary. There's nothing ordinary about those things. No worker here, whatever your job is, uh, has an ordinary job. Oh yeah, you can do it in an ordinary way. You can do it in an unspiritual way. But our challenge is those who, by God's grace, have been given his spirit that we may learn of Jesus Christ, are to be those who are spirit-filled workers. That's what we saw back in chapter 5, verse 18, to be filled with the spirit in all that we do. And what these 113 words before us do is they show us how we can do that in the workplace. They are your new job description as you head to work on Monday. Uh, and the reason they're your new job description is because when it comes to your workplace and your role in the workplace, there's actually been a change of management. Jesus walked into every aspect of our lives as king and he sets the agenda in every aspect of our lives. And now what he's doing here in verses five to nine of chapter six is he's knocking on your office door and he says to you, Christian, you're, you're a worker, right? Well, that's brilliant because that's what I made you for. Now let me tell you two things about your job. Let me tell you what your job is and let me tell you who you work for. That's what we have in front of us. Let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, these verses, these 113 words, tell you what your job is as you head to work tomorrow. Uh, three tasks are outlined here and all of them actually have to do with your relationship to your earthly master, your, your boss at work. Uh, here's the first of them. Here's your first task as a Christian, as one who lives with Christ as your head. You are to work respectfully. Verse five. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Literally, go to work with fear and trembling. 
Uh, picture in your mind your boss, the, the one that you're going to meet maybe physically tomorrow or maybe over a Zoom meeting or whatever it's going to be, and you'll see him uh, or her, whoever it is, and you are called to serve before them with respect and fear. Now, it's not about working before your boss with quaking boots and groveling fear. The, the words here drive at the idea and the, the heart response at work that you have an ongoing respect for your boss. Approaching your boss mindful of their position over you that God has given them. This is a command given at a time when, when actually most slaves in the Roman Empire would have lived in their master's house. Uh, and you can imagine in that sort of situation, familiarity breeds contempt or at least disrespect. Now, you may be very uh, happy that you don't have to live with your boss. However, this lack of respect, this uh, tall poppy syndrome is actually quite common in Australian workplaces, isn't it? But we're told here, if you want to work spiritually, if you want to work for God's glory, if that's your purpose as you head to work, then task number one is to consciously decide to approach your boss with respect. And one of the things that's going to mean, which I think is a huge challenge in workplace culture, is it will mean that you do not enter into the back room contempt and mockery of the boss, which is par for the course, isn't it, of many workplaces. I remember uh, years before going to Bible college when I worked in uh, logistics for a, a company that uh, the head of the department that I was in, we'll call him Phil, uh, to uh, protect the innocent. Um, every Friday there was a big whiteboard up in our department and you had to put, if you were going out to visit a client or a customer or whoever it was, you'd just write on the board where you were so that people knew how to contact you. And every Friday, I noticed after a while, uh, Phil, who was in charge of the department, would write on Friday afternoon on a course. And here I was as a, a new worker thinking, isn't that brilliant? Uh, my boss is forever sort of upskilling, forever going on training courses to uh, professionally develop. Well, it took me a while to realise that actually what Phil was doing on a Friday afternoon was heading to the golf course. That's what he would do. And almost within minutes of him leaving, the uh, deriding of Phil would begin and it would become the main topic of conversation. We're not to enter into that. Uh, secondly, when it, when it comes to respect, it will mean that when, when you come home from work and, and you, I wonder if you know this experience, I suspect most workers do, of wanting to debrief about the day with your spouse or a friend. It means you will not be in the habit of deriding your boss. Your boss. Uh, of course, you'll debrief, you'll get things off your chest, you'll speak of the frustrations at work, but always with a commitment, if you are one who wants to live with Christ as your head, with respect for your boss. For in the workplace, this is how Christ is glorified. That's what we're being told here. And notice as well, and this is really important, the call to respect your boss is, is not just made when they deserve it. No, some of you will have earthly masters who make, and you can see it on the outline there, the sermon outline there, David Brent of the TV series, The Office, look like the boss of the year. Your boss uh, will give him a run for his money. But the call to respect here comes without the qualification of deserving respect. Yes, there are times when it is right to question decisions that a boss makes, and there are times to challenge injustice in the workplace, even to leave a job. All of those things are possible, but always with a commitment to respect them. Now, verse 5, we are to respect our boss in the same way we do the Lord Jesus. That's the relationship we're focused on. 
So we're to respect our boss. Secondly, verse 5, we are to work wholeheartedly with a sincere heart, we're told. We're not only to work respectfully, but enthusiastically. That's to be the mark of the Christian worker in the workplace. Paul says, uh, with uh, our respect for our boss and our attitude towards our boss, it's not just wearing a mask. It's not just pretending. It's meant to come from the heart because of what we know of Christ. What, God, uh, what does God want you to do in the workplace? He wants you to work at your job with all your heart, to be known as that sort of worker in the workplace, uh, to, to be there for what you're paid to be there for and to do it with sincerity. The spirit-filled worker is not a clock watcher. You're not going through the motions before home time. Uh, you're in it boots and all. You're devoted uh, in heart to your job and those around you, especially your boss, will need to see that. It's got to be true of Monday morning. It's got to be true of Wednesday afternoon and Friday when it's knockoff time. You are to be a sincere worker. That is what honours Christ. The spirit-filled worker is not to be a grumbler. Their heart is sincere. We're to do our job with joy, whether it's thrilling or not. We're to do it enthusiastically, even when it's frustrating. And you know what? Some jobs are really frustrating, aren't they? And they have all sorts of aspects of them that are, that are mundane. There's not many jobs that are out and out thrilling, are there? Uh, you know, I, I had uh, ambitions over the years with, with no grounding behind it, but I had ambitions of uh, being an international cricketer. Now, I can't, imagine that, that I, I can't imagine a day when that job would not be thrilling. I'm sure if you ask someone who has that job, they would tell you otherwise. But there are jobs that are thrilling, but then there's lots that aren't. You may look at your job and you think, yeah, I can work hard, but with enthusiasm, with joy, that's a stretch. And yet that's what you're called to do here. It's hard, isn't it, to get excited about accounting. <laughs> it's hard to enthusiastically teach a bunch of rodents in a school. <laughs> Uh, but we're called to remember what the scriptures tell us about work. Don't be surprised that work is frustrating. I remember seeing an article in the Sydney Morning Herald a number of years ago that said that over 80% of workers describe their work as boring. Now that shouldn't surprise you that there are parts of your job and maybe whole facets of it that are quite mundane and dull. We know that this is a fallen world. We know that there are frustrations in this world and we know that work is caught up in that. Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 to 18 says this of the experience of working in this world. Cursed is the ground because of you. Speaking of our sin, through painful work, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. In amongst the good stuff, in amongst the harvest is thorns and thistles that, that uh, make it hard. And in the midst of that, this is what's so miraculous about the Christian. This is so what, what is called, uh, called upon the spirit-filled worker. You are to be a miraculous creature in a work environment like that. You are the one who works with heartfelt enthusiasm. You are the one who works that way when work thrills you and when work is frustrating. Here's the third task. And you see it in verse 6. You are to work consistently. Uh, we're told here of our bosses, obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. 
Uh, Paul invents a, a new word here. I love it. The, the word is this, I service. <laughs> Serving only when your boss can see you. It, it's, a, it's a new word, but it's not a new experience, is it, in workplace culture? We, we know this struggle of only working hard when it can be seen or when there's value in it. Well, Paul says, not so for the one who walks worthy under Christ. The call here is for consistent work, whether it's seen or not. I suspect the temptation is to, be, uh, to become an eye-serving worker uh, comes from two very different forms. We can either uh, become an eye-servant because, well, we're lazy. And I don't, I don't imagine there's many of us who fit that bill. We could be lazy because, well, we're ungodly. We may well be good at our job, but we do the bare minimum. We just uh, mark time, really, each day and each year. The only, the only time we ever break a sweat is when the boss sees us or the uh, annual review is coming up. That sort of eye service is possible because of laziness. It's also possible to, to be lazy in the workplace out of some sort of false godliness rather than ungodliness. It might be that we do just what needs to be done and no more because our real effort goes to Christian things and to the church and that's the real work. And my boss gets the scraps. It's possible to be an eye servant in that way. And then the flip, flip side is possible too. It's possible to be an eye servant because, well, we're a workaholic. Uh, you work for the boss's eye. You want to do more and more and more to be seen. You want to please him. You want his acknowledgement. How much of our work and our approach to work is driven by who we think is seeing it? You think about the way you approach work. How much of it is driven by what, how others value it? Who's going to commend you for what you're doing? Who's going to praise you? when you work with all your heart. It's so easy to be driven by this eye service, by who we think is watching and who we think will commend us for it. So how can we free ourselves from being an eye servant before our boss? Well, the answer is simple. Remember who you really work for. And that's the second part of these 113 words. We've seen our job description and now who we work for. Whose slave are you? Are you someone who works for the man? Are you someone who works for a wage or for compliments or for position or reputation or whatever it may be? Who or what are you working for if you were to be asked that about what you're doing tomorrow? The gospel proclaimed in Ephesians is actually the declaration that the crucified and risen Lord Jesus is now head of all things in your life, including your working life. You are his slave, his servant alone. And in the words of the Book of Common Prayer, in his service, in his employ, is perfect freedom. Only working to serve him is going to free you to work the way you were always meant to. Any other master is going to fall short of the mark, but he won't. He's your report to guy. I mean, have a look. It's, it's stamped all over these verses. Uh, verse 5, just as you would obey Christ. Work, verse 6, like a slave of Christ. Ver verse 7, as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Stamped all over these instructions about how to go about your work is that you work for the man, the son of man, the one for whom and by whom all things, including you and your work, was made. You work for him. 
you belong to him. And how about this for stunning? When it comes to your pay, when it comes to your remuneration and your reward, you see it there, verse eight, your reward is gonna come from him. That's what you should be looking for. That's whose eye service you should be interested in. On the day you meet your king in his heaven, he will reward you, we're told. Not a single aspect of your life, including your working life, will go unnoticed before him. He sees it all. You know, often in workplaces, the wrong person gets rewarded. The praise and the promotion goes to someone else. Uh, the person who uh, grovels or manages to have the right conversations or lie and scheme their way through or drink with the right people in the right pubs. It could be all sorts of things, even though the reality is that you may deserve the thanks that they receive or the promotion they receive. And you may be overlooked. But don't think for a moment that your work has gone unnoticed. The Lord himself will reward you. And as to how that will shape your eternity, we're not told here. I have no idea. We're not told. Very specifically, I imagine we're not told because God doesn't want us to speculate about that. But he, uh, and, and we also know this, that Ephesians has told us that our eternity is not dependent on how hard we work. In fact, the opposite it is by grace you have been saved so that no one can boast. That's a given. But we are told here that what you do in life does echo into eternity. It, it is not, it's not missed by God. He sees it all. Uh, your motivation and drive for work is to be his pleasure, his reward, his well done. You know, I remember after I'd worked for this company that I spoke of before that Phil was my immediate boss uh, for a, a year or two, at one point in the middle of one year, the, the big, big boss from uh, Europe came to visit and he, and he sort of wandered through our department. And I remember he sat down in my little booth area where I was and we had a chat for a couple of minutes. And, you know, at the end of it, I felt like a million bucks, felt like a king in the place because you started to get a sense that you're part of something much, much bigger. And I want to say that's what being a Christian should do for the way you go about work. As small as your role may feel, as mundane as it may feel, as frustrating as it may be under whatever boss you serve under, you don't work uh, for any of those people ultimately. You work for the one who made you and owns you. When we see that clearly, we are free to obey our earthly masters with respect, to work with all our heart, to work that way all the time, whether we're seen or not, because the Lord is our master and he sees everything. He'll miss none of it. Finally, notice that the passage also deals with the situation of being the boss to others in the workplace. And I imagine uh, for many of us, there'll be situations where we manage others as well. And if that's you, have a look as we finish at verse nine for what you're meant to do as a boss. We're told here that you're actually meant to treat your employees in the exact same way that employee is meant to treat their master. <laughs> treat them with respect. Serve them wholeheartedly. Be consistent with them, not just when they see you. And why? Because in God's economy, he views you and them the same. If you are a boss or you manage a team of people, know this, God is utterly unimpressed by that. It doesn't have for him the same wow factor that you're the deputy chief assistant to the manager. God doesn't see any 
uh, merit badge in that, in the same way that we, that we do. He sees a wonderful equality expressed in the different roles that he gives us to, to play in workplaces. He sees you and those who uh, you employ as, well, both fearfully and wonderfully made by him. He sees you as both worthy of the shedding of his son's blood. He sees the two of you as people who will stand before his throne as creatures, not as slaves and masters, but as creatures that he made and that are made for him. Whatever our role in our workplace, here is the 113 words that tell you what your job is and who you work for. I hope it inspires you as you go to work tomorrow. You work for the man and he sees it all and he's calling you to honour him in the task he sets before you. Take these words with you as you struggle to obey your earthly master. Take these words with you as you may be tempted to think too much of yourself as a boss. And make the words of our other reading, Psalm 84, your prayer as you head to work on Monday. Better is one day in your court, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than a king anywhere else. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us, that you have made us for a purpose, that you have made us as creatures uh, who are able to honour you with the work of our hands. And we pray, Father, that we would live our working life with Christ as our head, that we would serve him, uh, that we would honour him by the way we respect our bosses, by the way we work wholeheartedly, by the way we work hard, whether we're seen or not, and by the way we respect and serve and treat those that uh, are under us in the workplace. Father God, we pray that we would honour you in the way we work. In Jesus' name, Amen.